hey, it is uh, Mother's Day, and a tradition around here is, yes, we want to honor the mamas, but there is also um, a, a way in which we traditionally honor all women. Um, it's not just um, a, a sermon to honor mothers, but all women. Um, and I love Mother's Day for that reason. Like, actually, I love Father's Day for that reason, too. It's kind of one of those things where we just, uh, out of the 52 times we're going to get together, <laughs> we're going to focus in on you ladies today. And um, I'm glad to do so. I'm glad to do so. But I'm going to also tell you that this is one of the hardest sermons I've ever prepped for. Man, y'all complicated. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, if you've been a part of Unison for a while, um, you, you will remember a sermon series. Um, it was back in 2017. It was called Heavy. Uh, and the sermon series, we, um, we talked about different topics that the church was still struggling with trying to figure out. Right, like we talked about, uh, and, the, and one of the sermons was the value of women in a male-dominated society, <laughs> right? Like that was the, the, the topic, and I remember uh, I was in Georgia while I was prepping for that sermon, and while, um, and I was traveling back home, and I had gone through this whole week of preparing for this sermon, and I'm processing the value of women, and I'm having my whole little moment about how God, like, has revealed himself through the lives of women, and I'm, like, completely changed at this point because, like, the patriarchy is beginning to crumble <laughs> right inside of me. Uh, and I get on the airplane, and, um, and there's a woman who's... Uh, kind of go rummaging through her bags and there was a guy sitting next to her and he was standing the, in the aisle while she was kind of going through her bags and making basically forming a line as we're getting on which ultimately we all know was a no-no when you're getting on a plane and so he the guy looks at me and he says yeah you know how women are and I was like like my adrenaline went through the roof because I have just had a whole week of being marinated in the, the value of women. Like basically that was like a that was like a slur at this point. So like all I could do is like stop my right hand from jabbing him in his neck. Like <laughs> and so uh I've since settled um in terms of my reaction, but uh not in terms of um the belief and the passion that comes along with um shining a light where um, our world and the, the traditions and the cultures and honestly our societal norms would cast shadows um, over women. Um, and I'm still learning and growing in that. Um, I think that's one of the, the beauties of what it is to do community. I learn a lot from the women leaders here um, and learn what it is to, honestly, what it is to lead and be humble at the same time as a man um, and to truly, truly seek to see, not just cognitively know and not just theologically know that God values women, but seek to see how God is moving in the lives of women around me and how God has shown himself even in women. So that's what we're talking about. This is 
The Value of Women 2. It's the sequel to that sermon. Um, and, it's, uh, and if it, it, if there's a little subtitle, it's called I See You. Um, we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 22, and we'll also be in Galatians chapter 6. Um, there'll be some notes here on the screen. We have, um, there's a, something going on where we actually can't project the notes in terms of, you know, for those of you who are online, but we'll be in 2 Kings. So you want to like flip there, right? 2 Kings chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 22. And then Galatians chapter 3. Before we go there, I'm going to pray, though. Father, we love you. We thank you. You're good. God, we thank you for the women uh, that are part of our lives. God, we thank you for our mothers. God, we thank you for aunts, (laughs) sisters, grandmothers, daughters, cousins, friends, neighbors, co-workers, associates, God, even people who, even women who have challenged us and stretched us and made us grow, thank you, Lord, for how you continue to show yourself in the women around us. God, we pray your blessing in our time and your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, hey, y'all got the notes now. See, this is why I'm telling you, the tech team, they are on it today. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, before we actually get into scripture, I want you to see this picture. Um, I have been on a journey uh, the last few months of trying to um, reconcile this picture of God. Um, this is God. That, like, clearly, this isn't God, right? Like we know that's not that's not God, <laughs> but. There's been pictures of God depicted in, in all, and I normally actually don't show things like this, right? If you've been around for a while, you know, like, this is not common <laughs> for us to see a picture like this. One, it is wildly inaccurate. <laughs> uh, two, there's a part of it that borders on, like, graven images and stuff that can get really, really sticky. But ultimately, because it doesn't actually do a good job of of fully enveloping all that God is. It doesn't. I have been working hard over the last few months to try to de-gender God. I know some of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, wait a minute, where he going? I've been working to try to de-gender God. Um, Not here, but in my own theology, my own understanding, and my own worship to de-gender God. What does that mean? So let's break that down a little bit. When we know, we know that God is not a human being, right? So in terms of like male or female, God is neither, because <laughs> male and female point to us like a, a, anatomy, Right. So because God has no genitalia, he's neither male nor female in that regard. But because of our society, because of human beings and trying to process a way to be able to quickly talk about God, to quickly be able to to think and process, we do a lot of masculine and feminine kind of things, even with like, you know, there's whole languages that like they have 
tables and chairs that are feminine, right? Like, there's, it's, we kind of done that with God too. We've made God a gender in terms of a man and a male. And a part of that is the tradition of honoring. Um, a part of that is the tradition of, uh, of being able to, like I said, create some patterns in our ways of processing and thinking. It honestly makes it easy for us. It's a little bit diff- difficult for us to wrap our head around a genderless God, because, especially because our traditions always say he, right? I haven't gotten, like, I haven't gotten brave enough to go she. <laughs> but the reality is that God is neither but he's both. And that's why this picture doesn't do a good job. Um, I don't want to see the creator as a bearded woman, (laughs) but I also don't want to see the creator as a bearded man, to be honest. Uh, Not anymore. Um, Why am I saying that? Genesis chapter 1 It'll show up on the screen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. I'm pausing there on purpose. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. That's a little bit of like a foundational reason for my processing of degendering God. Is oftentimes we want to focus on God making Adam in his image and then pulling Eve out of Adam. But that's actually not, when you start to study the language, I, this is actually why I like the, the and this is the New Living Translation version of this, is it says that he created human beings because the word Adam actually means humanity. It's not the name of the first human to ever exist. It means humanity. So here's the really trippy, messed up part about this. Neither, so God is both genders in terms of the characteristics that we attribute to men and women. But the first human, there's cause for us to think that so was Adam. And then when Eve was created, God separated them. Not because there was no value in them being together, but because it wasn't good for the human being to be by the human being's self, let me create a system of fellowship, of accountability, of growth, of love, where there is this relating to one another. Most people don't really think about this because if you're stuck thinking that Adam is a male, you miss the fact that both, that that before Eve was separated from Adam, God gave Adam the responsibility and the authority to name all of the creatures. Why is that important? Because we oftentimes want to say that God gave men the authority to do that. But before God even made males and females, he gave humanity the authority to do that. And so the authority rests with both men and women. It always has. Right? 
Then he separated to create this space, not of competition, not a, but, and not even of compatibility, but fellowship, because after the human being looked at all of the different creatures that were around, God was like, it's not good for the human being to be by the human being self. And I'm, in pur- I'm purposely not saying he, right? Because we connect those pronouns to genders and to, and to anatomy, but that's not how the Bible actually communicates that. And that's tough for us because that tramples all over our traditions. <laughs> it tramples all over, and it's tough for me because it tramples all over my ego. I like the idea of men like having, like, yo, we had the authority. God gave it to me because, we, uh, because of our anatomy, right? Like, <laughs> nope, it's not actually how that works. So if we really were to try to look at a picture of God, it would look more like this cartoon. Not because this cartoon <laughs> adequately encapsulates God and not because of even what that image represents. Like you normally see that on a unisex bathroom, right? <laughs> and that's not what we're saying about God either. But what we are saying about God is that God has both masculine and feminine qualities that exist in God that God has endowed into humanity even before Eve was separated that human being had both masculine and feminine qualities and then God separated so that there could be fellowship and partnership and when you start processing it that way it's trippy at first but it And there's a part of you that feels like, ooh, that's going to mess me up, but it actually makes God bigger. It makes God bigger to see, oh, man, you really knew what you were doing. Like, you really knew what you were doing. And so I've stopped seeing the Father. When I speak of of God as the Father, I've stopped seeing the Father as a, um, a denotion to gender, but the verb Father, right? To father means to give life to, but also to protect, to guide, to cast vision for. That is the way in which fathers interact with their children is all those things that we see in the father. So I'm no longer seeing God the father, the father part as noun. I'm seeing it as God the father verb. But then that also means there's a mother part too. I ain't got enough courage yet to... Preach God to mother, but, <laughs> but let's just be real, okay? I'm telling you, I'm on a journey, <laughs> but if we're really, really going to understand and really worship this being, let's worship this being in all of this being's majesty, which includes motherly qualities, feminine qualities that are more often Denote it to women. Both men and women have a way of nurturing, but I feel like mothers and women have a unique way of nurturing. They care for whatever it is, where it is, when it is, right? Like I see that, like there, there's, a, there's a, not to be crazy graphic, but like I, I see mothers and women as this, as honestly a part of earth, 
right? You put a seed in the ground and the ground not only carries, but cares for, nurtures it as it is, where it is. Yes? And there is this way in which fathers nurture that care for where it's going. But, the, but God cares for us where we are, when we are, just like mothers do. There's even portions of scripture in Isaiah where Isaiah is prophesying and the Lord actually describes himself as a mother, giving birth and caring for and nursing Israel at his breast, which I'm going to let y'all figure that out. <laughs> That's that his again, right? <laughs> it's challenging. But I think the more that we stretch ourselves to not get progressive and liberal in terms of our way of thinking about God, that's not what I'm saying. But the more we stretch ourselves to recognize that God is, yes, Father, and traditionally we, we, we refer to God as Father, but the truth is God is also Mother. And God cares for us and nurtures us where we are and that's actually why we're talking about this today. Scripture uh, uh, was written by men, two men. <laughs> but let me tell you why it was written by men, two to men. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, I actually have the NIV version. To the, uh, this is after uh, both Adam and Eve have sinned and God is, is dishing out all of their consequences. <clears throat> he says, after talking to the serpent, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. I've never given birth, but everything I've seen on TLC would mean that's an understatement. <laughs> um, it's a lot more intense than just very severe. So <laughs> with painful labor, you will give birth to children. The next part is the part where it gets a little bit tricky. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I think sometimes we operate in our society as though it was the plan of God for men to be dominate society, but that is opposite of Scripture. Scripture clearly teaches us that the reason why there is this separation is because of sin, and not because Eve sinned, because they both did, right? Like, this isn't like, okay, because you messed up, you get this. No, like all three of y'all messed up, and this is what's happening because of all three of you. This isn't actually just a punishment, so to speak, or a consequence for the woman. It's not, actually. However, the woman will, will bear the brunt of that punishment. It just is. Oftentimes, we, especially in our society, we want to, we tout ideas like because Adam was made first and then Eve, then this and that, and that's the way this is going to be like, that's not actually what's happening here. Sin caused a separation between God and humanity, and sin also caused a separation between humanity and humanity. 
Sin caused this hierarchy. But when you actually study when Eve was pulled out of Adam, was because of the word helper, which doesn't mean assistant. It's Ezer, which literally the word Ezer is described about the Holy Spirit as well. So it's certainly not so, uh, some assistant, some secretary. But this idea that your desire will be for your husband, there's some versions of the Bible that, that actually try to interpret that for us and say your desire will be to control your husband. And I think it's because we don't know what to do with this for real. We don't know how to talk about this and still honor women, but I'll talk about the challenge. And let's just be real. This is an incredibly challenging reality that we exist in. And, and when I say we, women bear the full weight of that. But all of humanity suffers because of it. All of humanity suffers because of our devaluing of women. And even though this portion of scripture is challenging, we have been given hope that we'll talk about in Galatian. <laughs> but I'm actually going to take you to 2 Kings right now. I'll give you a little bit of backstory before we get here, but in uh, 2 Kings, we're going to we're going to pick up at verse 14, but at the beginning of chapter 22, we find out about this young king named Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. There it is. I was waiting for a kid to look up and like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like, Ben caught it. Ben caught it. Eight years old. Yes, that means two years from now, that could be you, Ben, President of the United States. All right. <laughs> Josiah became king at eight years old. And Josiah was convicted to get rid of all the idols and all of the different things that were going on in Judah that were uh, that uh, were causing the people of Judah to worship false gods. He sent for a high priest to go get a scroll because they needed to work out some financial struggles that were going on. And the high priest read the scroll. This is 1 through 13. He read the scroll. And when he read the scroll to Josiah, Josiah ripped his clothes and started grieving because he realized we aren't doing all that the father said we're supposed to do. And that's actually where we jump in now. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahekim, Akbar, Shaphan, and Isaiah <laughs> went to the new quarter to Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, son of Haras, <laughs> the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on the city of its people. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods. And I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against them 
excuse me, against this place, and it will be quenched, will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against the city and its people. That this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this city. So they took her message back to the king. Some of you are like, that, what does that even mean? Why are we talking about this? <laughs> oh, no, please no. <laughs> We're talking about this because some of you have never even heard of Huldah. <laughs> like, he's like, Huldah, who's that? You've heard of Deborah. You heard about Elizabeth and Mary. You know about Bathsheba. You know about Rahab. Some of you are like, Rahab, who's that? Read it. <laughs> you know about Esther, but Huldah, is, there's nothing actually unique and special about Huldah. That's probably why you've not heard about it. You've not heard about her because in many ways, this is a glazed over passage of Scripture, not unlike the glazed over passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2 in the prophet Anna. Why am I saying that? Because if you're actually going to see women in Scripture, you actually have to pause when you see the word she and process what it means for the king of Judah to send a high priest, captains of their armies, and other leaders to hold her. Because they don't actually make a big deal of it. They don't make a big deal of the fact that the king, the high priests, captains of the army, and leaders of Judah have gone to seek the counsel of a woman. They don't make a big deal of it. Actually, it's just kind of a passing note. They tell you who her husband is, actually. <laughs> One of the challenging things about sin is that that desire for your husband peace isn't just that you're going to want what your husband has. It's not going to just be that you want what men have. It's that you'll already have what men have, and no one will see it. You'll already have what men have, but people won't see it. That's the real challenge of that consequence. You're not striving to get what God gave to men. You already have what God gave to men. It's just sin casts a shadow over it. Hold up is a prophetess who is speaking on behalf of God to kings, high priests, rulers, 
captains of armies. And just like most of the women in Scripture and most of the women who don't actually show up in Scripture, it's not that God's not moving in them. It's just that sin casts a shadow over that movement. And it's really challenging for us. So this is one of those moments where I defer to my wife, who is really good at catching the context of things. She's much better at that than I am. She'll, she's able to take in all the information that's happening around and, like, apply it to what's going on. And I'm still learning how to do that. <laughs> uh, it's called high-context communication. I am not that guy. Uh, but one of the things that I've seen in terms of the pattern of Scripture is a part of why they don't make a big deal of it, yes, it's that shadow part, but another part of the reason why they don't make a deal about it is because of how frequent it happens. <laughs> like, it's pretty often. It's not abnormal. You know, like, the, there's abnormal things that show up in Scripture because, like, that was an abnormality. God's talking through a donkey. That's weird. <laughs> God split a Red Sea? That's strange. God caused a whole bunch of locusts to come out of nowhere? That's weird. And so there's actually a big deal about it, and they talk about it frequently. But there's also other things that don't get to, because it's assumed that it's normal. Right? I didn't tell you guys that the lights are on in this room. One, you can see it and it's assumed, right? Like, I don't have to announce everything that's happening. I didn't have to announce that we're all clothed. <laughs> it's a part of what it is. It's normal. Another thing that we have to also remember in Scripture is things that don't get announced are also normal. They're normal. And so when things aren't, when things aren't normal, they get announced. I love the stories of like I love the story of Deborah, which is in Judges, because it wasn't abnormal for them to come and seek Deborah's guidance. Actually, she was like it's, it gives her a description in Judges, Judges chapter four, and she sat as a judge, and people came and they talked to her all the time. They asked her to like, hey, we got a problem. Can you help us figure it out? I love that. It just says it nonchalantly. But the one thing that was unique about that is that Barak was too scared to go into battle without her. <laughs> they make a big deal, not about the fact that she is judging all of Israel. She's the one, she's the original judge, Judy. They don't make a big deal about that. They make a big deal about the fact that Barak was too scared to actually go into battle without her. Why? Because that's abnormal. Not that she was actually judging. Ladies, God has been moving in women since the beginning. It's not new, right? I know that we, I love in Acts where Peter is quoting Joel, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your men and your women, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, right? Like that's a part of that. It's beautiful. But let me remind you, that's not new, <laughs> That's not new. That's not something brand new. The Spirit of God has been moving in women from the beginning. Let me take you to Galatians chapter 3. This is the hope part. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. 
neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's the hope part that I was talking about. Genesis gives us the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin is not that women won't be a part of God's plan and redemptive work, but the work that women do will sadly go oftentimes unseen. I, um, I, asked, some, I asked a couple of people this um, when we start talking about purpose, but most people don't know this woman. Her name is Alberta Washington. Does anybody know that name? No, most people don't. You know her son, though. Alberta Washington is the mother of Martin Luther King Jr. Alberta Washington was a teacher and a civil rights activist before Martin Luther King Jr. was even born. <laughs> she played the organ at their church, and Alberta Washington was also assassinated. Someone came in to kill her husband and missed while she was on the organ. She was shot. You don't know her story, but think about what it requires to raise a Martin Luther King Jr. Like, think about that. Like, like think about what that means. <laughs> All of what's in this man, much, much of it was in this woman, <laughs> poured out into him to bless the world. But that's the shadow part. We get to remember Martin Luther King Jr.'s dad because they share the same name. Alberta Washington King. There, you have it. The promise, though, that is in Christ is that that separation, that hierarchy is no more in Christ. Genesis forecasts this shadow and Galatian says, in Christ, that shadow has no more power. In Christ, you are one. Not that you're the same, because that was never the point. Not that you're all the same in Christ, but you are all one. He levels the playing field and said, no longer is this earthly hierarchy a reality for the kingdom of God. But I think it's okay for us to live in the tension and know that, that the kingdom of God and the kingdoms that we live in are not the same. Because there are still slaves and free. There are still male and female. There are still Jews and Gentiles in that there's haves and haves nots. But in the kingdom, in Christ, that should not be so. So I want you to know these names. These are ministers and leaders that were also women in scripture. I just want you to be able to see it. Miriam was in Exodus chapter 15, Deborah, Judges 4, Anna, Luke 2, Priscilla, Acts 18, Junia, Romans 16. Junia is um, widely thought to believe to be a church planter. <laughs> 
Most people don't know that name because we don't talk about Junia. Her husband's name shows up three or four times throughout the New Testament, but her name only shows up once, but they co-planted the church. <laughs> My heart breaks for knowing that. But I'm saying it out loud because I want us to see it. I want us to see it. The church must master the tension of the now and yet to come. We have to master the tension of the world we live in, that we are not of devalues women, but the world that we are of says that women bear a part of the image of creator God just like men do, not less different, but not subject to, not under, not as an assistant to, but bear a part of the image of God with all the authority that he gave the first human being to lord over the earth. The church has to be the place where we see Christ's vision casting of a one, like a, a one kind of level of humanity. We have to live that out well. We do not yet do that, even in the church. Even in the church. And a part of it is that many of us are still learning what that is. But the church must master that. There was a time when that which the darkness of sin has hidden will be clearly seen in Christ. There's a, a time will come when what the darkness of sin has hidden is clearly seen in the shadowless light of Christ. That's the best way to say that. What does that mean? Sin has hidden much of the work of women in the church and the movement of God. But a time is coming when there will be no shadows. And that is what we have to be about constantly pushing into. We actually don't live in the shadow of sin if we say that we're walking in the light of Christ. So there should, there should be no space for the shadow of sin to cover over how God reveals himself in the lives of women around us. The last thing I think of when I think of this is when we do clearly see it, one of the most significant roles that women have will be to teach the church how to be a bride. Like, think about what that is. The church is called a bride, but we haven't yet figured out how to let women preach well, right? <laughs> like, Right? We say, like, well, we, we're not going to actually use this book written by a woman in our theology class. But the church is described as a bride. I think one of the most significant roles that women will play is helping the church know how to be a bride. We listened to this song in our uh, lead team meeting 
um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was like very, for lack of any like sophisticated way to say it, it was girly. Like, <laughs> it was like this worship song, and it was talking about, like, I see myself in your eyes, God. Like, man, like, man, that's making me feel weird. <laughs> like, that's, that's weird. I don't want to be looking into God's eyes and seeing myself. Let's <laughs> be lost in your gaze. That's not What does that mean? <laughs> but as I sat there listening to the song, the thing that really fell upon me and I was convicted is much of the songs that we sing and the ways in which we've been taught to relate to God, we've been taught to relate to God from a male perspective. We just have been. That's why we talk about how mighty God is, and we don't sing about how incredibly soft and compassionate he is, because that's true, too. That's why we sing about how he's a warrior, and we say he's a good, good father, but we don't talk about his nurturing mother side nearly enough. So when there's a song that uniquely points to the fact that the church is the bride, I trip over my traditions and don't see an opportunity to engage in vulnerably with my Savior. I'm still learning. That song still trips me up. I've listened to it like three or four times. I'm like, yeah, I can't make it through this whole thing yet, but Lord, help me. Bring me there. Usher me there, Lord. Come on. <laughs> but that's not because of anything other than being marinated in a world that doesn't give us practice in seeing that. And so, ladies, you have learned how to relate to God from men's perspective most of your life. And know from your pastor, I am trying to learn how to do that from the opposite side. I, uh, I was walking in Meyer parking lot yesterday getting some stuff for Mother's Day and I noticed how difficult it is now when you're about to pass someone post-COVID, right? You're about to walk past. You guys make eye contact. Like, which way are you going? Like, you going left? You going right? Like, because, like, of course, you can't actually walk face-to-face -face with somebody during a pandemic. So it's like uh, you have this tension of not knowing. But then I thought about how, how that actually I've never really experienced that with women. And it's because women, most of the time, move out of the way. <laughs> it's been ingrained in women to move out of the way. And the only reason I see it now is because now two of us are trying to move out of the way and we don't know where to go. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm learning to see it. I am not all the way there yet, but I'm learning. And why am I learning to see it? It's not because I want to degender God. It's because I actually have learned that God has both. And if I'm truly going to worship God in spirit and in truth fully, that means I have to start also acknowledging that side of who God is. And if I don't, I'm only worshiping a part of him. So there's the only reflection and action I have is happy Mother's Day. Look, look, that, that feels heavy to lend on just happy Mother's Day. But not just 
to you natural mothers and not just but also for the ways in which you spiritually mother us even if you don't have children. You spiritually nurture and care for us. You spiritually see us who and where we are and carry us, especially us men. <laughs> it's not just because some of us struggle when we get sick, like you actually carry <laughs> us. Thank you. And for all of us, I think our reflection is not to, not to throw ourselves way out of whack, because I know this is hard for many of us, even for women, but for a little bit of reflection to see the softer side of God this day. Yes, let's acknowledge him as warrior and master and, and king of kings, but also let's see him as the God who longs to gather all of his chicks under his wing like a mother hen, which Jesus describes of himself. I'm going to let y'all figure that out. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are good. You are good, God. You see us where we are, who we are. You love us, you nurture us, and you care for us. God, give us grace to pursue you in the ways in which you have revealed yourself, not in the ways that make me comfortable, in the ways you have revealed yourself. You have revealed yourself as a caring, nurturing, compassionate, merciful, nurturing God who longs to birth in me good, and also who longs to carry me as I grow. You have said about yourself that you long to shield us as your chicks, mother hen. And because you have revealed yourself this way, may we also seek to find you that way. And also, God, give us your church wisdom and discernment to put away the shadow of sin that will cover the ways in which you reveal yourself through the women around us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're moving through women. Thank you, God. May my pride and may our traditions never be the thing that casts the shadow again. God, I pray your blessing over all of the women that are in the life of unison. Touch their hearts. Touch their minds. May they know that they are already all they need to be in you, Christ. And may we know, God, that you are... You have not given them a race to run or a fight to, or a battle to win as it relates to being equal with men. God, you did that work already on the cross to take us back to what you created in the garden. So give us ways to continue to affirm the ladies of the house. In Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you. 
Amen.